0: Thank you.
1: the postseason, first time since 2015, a Ripley Field massacre, and how sweet it is, and Vader launches one out to deep left, into big match and he hits the painting, he hits the painting for Fredburn, you've got to be careful!
0: Hi, this has been Saruti uh, from Birds on the Black. Back to you for another episode of Conversations with Saruti. Uh, tonight, uh, St. Louis Cardinals fans um, are, are, have been kind of blessed lately with great Cardinals reporters at MLB.com. I just kind of want to go out there and say that. I've loved having Matthew Leach. I uh, was sad to see him go. I loved having Jen Lengash. Um, I was pleasantly relieved when I saw her coverage after losing Matthew Leach. Uh, Then Ann Rogers came in and followed her with great coverage as well. Uh, A little bit more briefly than the other two. Those two were kind of longer in the position than her. Um, But she left to move to where I am now, actually, Kansas City. And next in line for the Cardinals at MLB.com is Zachary Silver. It's at Zach Silver, Z-A-C-H Silver on Twitter. Um, And he seems to have jumped right in with both feet. Uh, he's engaged with fans probably more than any of the others I've mentioned above at least to start on Twitter um, and today's conversation with Saruti is with none other than Zach welcome to the show sir
1: thank you for having me I, uh, I have big shoes that I'm trying to fill but hopefully doing so as well as I can um, but yeah I've, I've loved every second so far it's been a bit of a hectic start but uh, you know happy to happy to be aboard and, and part of Cardinal's Twitter sphere so far
0: Awesome. well yeah I'm I'm very pleased to see how how quickly you've jumped in on that. Uh before we get too far I do want to say we are recording this on April 21st um after the Washington Nationals took the rubber match 1-0 from our St. Louis Cardinals uh dropping us to uh two under on the season. Uh so not not where we'd like them to be, but uh I think looking at the schedule early on I was kind of thinking they'd be right around 500 at this point anyway. Um so before we get too deep into Cardinals, let's let's get to know fans here. Let's get to know Zach Silver a little bit. Um, okay, just random, random question because I'm a political dork too. So any relation to Nate Silver over at com?
1: I am not related to Nate Silver, <laughs> I remember when I took uh, my um, AP government class in uh, – uh in 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 high school that was always the the big question and we took it during election year and everyone was very uh very interested to know if i because we were getting we were seeing them all over the coverage but uh not related to nate silver and also not related (laughs) to adam silver the uh, commissioner of of basketball so oh yes yes, two two swings and a miss on the first on uh, (laughs) on that one but uh you know still got one more strike i guess (laughs)
0: Uh, no worries. All right. Um, so, uh, I did listen to the meet me at the museal podcast you did with Daniel and Alan. Um, you mentioned on there that you're from the DC area. Um, so growing up, uh, you did mention you played hockey. So did I. So uh, I I played roller hockey because I was rubbish on ice skating, but, um, so roller hockey, I did my best there. Um, how how did it come to be that, uh, were, were you a big baseball fan growing up too, or not as much?
1: Yeah, I was I was a big baseball fan. I mean, baseball in, in this area kind of has an interesting history. You know, obviously not getting a team until uh, 2005. But just so how just kind of how it worked out is that's kind of when I was starting to become, you know, more of an impassioned fan. Just in my natural like growing up as, as a person. So uh, you know, the Nats came back in 2005. That's uh, kind of right around when I was um, starting to get a little bit more into you know professional sports. Um, but you know hockey was definitely my number one growing up that's the sport I played um, I played you know hockey soccer and baseball through middle school and then by the time I got to high school you know kind of decided I had to pick one or the other uh, to focus on and the one that kind of won out was hockey um, but you know I still really miss baseball and I've I loved to have been able to have uh, covered it so far um, and uh, I just think there's, a, there's so much unique about the sport that you kind of gets missed out on a lot of other sports and it's so, it's just so many of the traditions are just you can't get them in some of the other sports. So, um, but no, I've been, been a been a baseball fan for quite a while and it's kind of been a, a surreal chance to get to work in it.
0: So judging from that response, I was going to ask if you're a Nats fan or Orioles fan, since I knew the area, I didn't know exactly where, but I know those ballparks are about 35, 40 miles apart. Um, sounds like Nats fan then um, growing up. How do you, as a professional reporter, professional journalist, how do you distance yourself from fandom and and see it as just your profession to cover it evenly and fairly?
1: Yeah, it's 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 an interesting kind of balance you have to strike. Obviously, I mean, just with how much the job sort of envelops your life, you don't really have a lot of time to pay as much attention to the pure fandom of the sport. You know, while I still baseball, the reason I love it is because of the game and because of the wins and losses and because of the stories there's just a lot kind of on your plate on a day-to-day basis that kind of just takes your attention away from wanting to or being able to you know follow on uh you know as a pure like fan and daily score so to speak um so that's kind of been it's more been a, a factor of necessity than one of um you know purpose but there is also you know the sense that I mean, the old adage is no cheering in the press box, being an unbiased reporter, things like that. I feel like you sort of see just in journalism as a whole, you sort of start to see those pillars sort of start to get a little a little bit hazier, you know, with the rise of, of blogging, with the rise of, um, you know, team-centric content. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, there is still some old school um, you know, reporting out there, um, not, not gone quite yet. And I wouldn't say I'm necessarily on that, you know, old archaic wavelength, but there is, you know, still trying to keep that balance of, of being an impartial reporter. Um, So I, I, I wouldn't say, you know, I root for a team right now. I would say I root for great stories. Um, And sometimes, you know, you start to get to have relationships with players on the team or people around and, and you kind of get to, you know, want to just see them have success. Um, So that's also another balance you kind of have to strike where, you know, there's players who I've talked to players who I've written stories about that I've enjoyed talking to, but um, you know, sometimes you would just want to see them succeed as a person to person relationship more than anything.
0: Yeah. So which, which players, coaches, front office members, do you feel like you've been able to cultivate that good working relationship with so far? Anybody stand out?
1: Yeah, it's been, it's been interesting for myself personally, just cause I kind of started this job in the middle of the zoom world where I'm not really able to kind of go into the clubhouse and, you know, shake everyone's hand and, and just you know say, Hey, my name's Zach um you know now the beat reporter for emily.com nice to meet you what what should i know about you what do you want to know about me so it's been a little bit tough for me personally to kind of get some of those uh real interpersonal relationships that might be more uh, possible in a general a normal year um uh but you know it's still there there has been some opportunity I, i wrote a story recently on jordan hicks about his desire to sort of be a uh you know, a, a diabetic phenom, an inspiration to young kids with di- type 1 diabetes. Um, and, you know, luckily I was able to kind of get him one-on-one for that talk. So, um, you know, that was, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, I have developed like a, an incredible relationship just on one phone call alone, but, um, you know, that's kind of the, just how I'm sort of trying to, to work around the, the other difficulties, I guess, where, you know, some of my colleagues have had a years or t- two or more you know, inside the clubhouse before the world gets shut down. So um, it hasn't right. been impossible, but it's definitely been an interesting kind of t- line to be towing and, and diving into this new uh, profession or this new job, I guess.
0: That makes sense. Um, so mm-hmm. just as somebody who's interested in, in just writing in general, obviously with being, you know, a blogger myself, um, I mean, I have a day job. I, I teach here in Kansas City. Um, and so it's not something that I... I'm looking to go out and get paid to do or anything, but what, what is the writing process um, like for this new position? Is it like certain amount of mandatory posts per day or week or certain amounts of Twitter activity you have to do or, and how much of is it, how much of your, um, I, I feel like there's been a lot of content out there from you so far, just uh, between the stat of the day, which we can talk about in a minute. And um, your, uh, I feel like you're on Twitter during games and you're, Uh, You're interacting with fans. How much of that is you and just you digging in and your personality and how much of that is MLB.com saying, hey, this is what is expected of you?
1: Yeah, social media is an interesting um, kind of topic area where we are definitely encouraged to interact with fans, do anything to sort of elevate your voice and your brand and your following because... You know, the more eyeballs that I have on my Twitter, the more you know inherently eyeballs are sort of getting lent to MLB.com. You know, when they see my profile, see that I write for MLB.com, that means that they might be more inclined to visit out my, visit my work there. Um, there's not really any mandatory things that we are doing on Twitter. You know, it's not like my bot, or it's not like our editors come to us to say, okay, you guys got to make sure you're tweeting live game coverage and that you're. Um, you know, cracking X jokes per week, or something like that, or your you <laughs> know, joke batting average is like 300 for the for the week, or something. Um, it's it's a lot of it is kind of in, in, when it comes to Twitter, at least a lot of it is kind of on my my own uh, um, my own initiative. Um, and you know, on, on the other hand, you want, you want to make sure you're not being too out there, that you're not like being a um, bit of like a, a leech, or you know, you're not you're not kind of taking the making the story you um or you know still I, well, i am you know a following in, in a way is a following of me as a person and most of my following is supposed to be because i cover the cardinals not because i'm who i am um so there's a little bit of a balance there so far i feel like a lot of our reporters do a good job and i, I like to think i'm part of that um you know good balance um but as far as the writing um yeah i mean we wrote one story per game um we sort of started to um, see where there are more freedoms lie to write stories where I don't have to write like a blow-by-blow blow recap of what happens, but I can more pick out a key moment or a key storyline. For example, if yeah, I was about to say know, getting Flaherty, back to
0: those storylines. Yeah,
1: yeah. If Jack Flaherty went out and threw like four innings the other day, um then you know that would have been more of a, the story. Obviously, would be Jack Flaherty having a tough start, but I could always expand that more, being the rotation itself just has not had the amount of innings it's needed to have, and you know Jack who's their their workhorse is supposed to be, you know, the one guy who's not really falling into that trap. Um, so it's more just taking moments out of the game and making them more overarching kind of spinning them forward and seeing how they're applicable to the rest of the season and to the rest of the team in other ways. Um, and you know usually pre-games we that allows us to have time for any sort of features or or in-depth analysis that we're kind of cooking up. Um so there's been has been a, lot, a little bit of a change in the last few years just with kind of how the media landscape is changing and how the needs of consumers are changing and the desires of consumers are changing. Um, So it's been interesting to kind of see since I was an intern several years ago to where I am now, just kind of how we sort of elevated and and evolved.
0: So tell me, I I mentioned the stat of the day over at cardinals.com. Tell me about the inspiration behind that. Did you think of that? Was that something brought up by, by, you know, your editors, but I feel like it does do a good job of helping you hit like kind of mini storylines like that, that, that are, overarching kind of for the year or just even just little nuggets of research you've found. Um, So can you kind of talk about that a bit?
1: Yeah, that was, that was an initiative um, for the whole company. So we have uh, have every reporter, you know, Mariners.com, BlueJays.com, Orioles.com, every, every site has their own version of that. And that's been a cool initiative sort of company wide um, where just, just finding those like little nuggets that aren't going to necessarily make your game story, you know, Uh, you know Wainwright went seven innings the other day and while that was a story enough for me to write you know if like the offense had a come from behind win and I needed to write about that you know the stat of the day is a place where I could have give Wainwright a little shine that he might not have gotten in the traditional game story Um, so it's been it's been a cool way to just kind of give us even more chances to reach our audience and more ways to sort of dispel or disseminate information that um, you know might not just naturally fit into a game story you know if there's just a small tidbit here or there that doesn't exactly fit into what I'm writing. It's something that I can kind of save for Saturday, but I could also use Saturday in my own game story. Um, So it's been, it's been cool. You know, PR game notes, our research team is pretty unrivaled. um, And it's just been, even just thinking about Saturday gives me a lot of sort of inspiration for what I might want to write about. And a lot of, I guess, ideas for how the game and, and how my day should be planned out.
0: Is there any bit of research or or it could even be like a quote that you've gotten from somebody that you've really loved that you haven't gotten to put out there on Twitter or MLB.com for, for a story and wish you could have?
1: Um, a quote, I don't think so, because usually if there's something that good, unless I got it in an exclusive, that means that you know one of my colleagues is probably going to have it out in their story or in their Twitter timeline, that makes so sense. you can't really sit on quotes as much um stats i mean yeah we get, some, we get some great stats from our our research team um one that i never really got to put out was and it kind of became moot though the more time went on but you know it was the fact that the cardinals were really striking out at a at a high clip to start the season um and there's just a lot of similarities sort of between the 2019 team and this team not only the the innings pitched and how few innings were sort of pitched by the starting rotation in the first few weeks. Uh, but mm-hmm. also the amount of strikeouts that the team that each team sort of had in those first few weeks. So um, I believe the stat was like through the, through the first eight games or so the Cardinals struck out over 70 times, maybe 76 times and the 2019, 2019 team struck out like 80 times over that same span. But before that, it was like the first time since the mid like the mid 1910s or early 1900s that a team, <laughs> a Cardinals team had struck out that much. So it's funny that, These two teams are so similar, but the teams before that is is a much more sort of crazy um, um, undoing. Um, So that that was one that I never really got to put out there. That was a little interesting. It kind of became moot as stuff sort of uh, took the shine away from it.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I like that. So I I do like that on Twitter, at least, you seem adept at incorporating StatCast graphics into tweets and um, some more sabermetric-y type lingo into your conversations. Um, prior to the meet me at musical, I don't think I'd ever heard another beat writer use the acronym toot um, Oh, really? I, I don't ever remember hearing that from an actual beat writer, you know, being somebody who blogs a lot. I've seen that many times. Um, I haven't quite seen as much of the Statcast stuff in your MLB.com articles. Is that on purpose? Uh, or, so I guess what I mean by that is, do you, I, I'm trying to put it into words what I actually mean by that. Um, is it something that you are setting out to do more on Twitter and kind of like gauging the fan base on those type of things before you get into it with articles? Or is it something where you just haven't had a chance to really put that in as much on the game stories or... Um, something like that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a little bit of just logistics, uh, you know, being perfectly honest, it's just our, our web, our, our system of like editing content putting out content just isn't really as adept at taking um, images. Um, so that a lot of, I mean, some, a lot of what I sort of tweet out as far as graphics, um, you know, sometimes we'll make it into our, my stories sort of as embedded tweets, um, right. I have seen that a as, couple times. Yeah. So just, just as far as the actual putting content in, uh, like, uh, StatCast images in plainly, it's just a little logistically a little harder to accomplish just with our sort of, uh, text edit interface. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're like a, directly associated with StatCast and baseball savant. Right. So we do have a very good re- obviously relationship and they're, they're kind of associated with us. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, we, we are pretty, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's encouraged always to use StatCast, uh, not to overdo it. You know, if, if there's like one hard hit ball in a game, don't make it like, you know, the player is about to be on the breakout of, you know, a, a 40-40 season or something like that. Um, but <laughs> it is always nice visually just to kind of incorporate. And it, you do sort of see an interesting dichotomy of people who are interested in StatCast. And as I'm sure you've come to learn or have seen with Matt Carpenter, there's a lot of, um, you know, the StatCast is one thing, but uh, how much is there really to gauge from that uh, if he's not right. putting the ball in play and, and, and getting on base?
0: Exactly. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit more about this year's team. Um, so like I said, we're recording this after the 1-0 loss. Um, Cardinals, uh, I feel like we're in one of those years where... Again, I, I think enough has been made of the Cardinals offense in terms of Feaster Famine, but I feel like it's one of those years where the Cardinals not only are Feaster Famine, but the Cardinals pitching just uh just you know, they're they're starting to get their groove going right when the offense is sputtering. Um, and I feel like that's happened a few times over the years. Obviously, with 162 game seasons, that's gonna happen in Spurts no matter what. But it's always just interesting to me when you see something like that. And it's also interesting to me where I feel like there was a good three or four or five year stretch where Adam Wainwright would get a bajillion runs scored for him. And this year it happens to be Jack Flaherty. That's getting that. And we'll talk more about that in a second here. Um, have you been able to discern anything with this offense about why the feast and famine might happen? Is it reliance on video? Um, is it reliance on, um, knowing certain pitchers tendencies, but being baffled by others? Um, is it coming in with everybody kind of being on the same game plan and not playing to their own strengths? Have, have you gotten much on that yet being, being new, maybe not, but
1: yeah, I mean, for me, it's hard to kind of, to measure this team against past years, just cause you no, know, I like to think I kind of have a, a round, uh, uh, understanding of the club, you know, it is sort of hard to, to if I haven't been seeing the games like in, in live action the past couple years. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I mean I I think a lot of it sort of has to do with just uh you know the consistency of at bats and that's kind of like you know, we've talked to Schildz multiple times and he just kinda of getting to the point where he says, I, I honestly have no idea what to say because we're seeing good results in the internal numbers and not just internal numbers but the stat numbers, for example. And they're just not translating to hits. I mean, you know, Matt Carpenter is hitting the ball harder than few other people have in the league and he's not getting, you know, nearly rewarded as much as he maybe should be. Um, so he's, uh, you know, it's kind of indicative of what's going on and and how I guess frustrating, um, things have been for this offense. But, you know, you see when they do have a good night that they are kind of feasting in big numbers. I mean, I, I, I crunched the numbers today and games, they win, they're averaging around eight runs a game games. They lose are averaging two runs a game. So, you know, we win big, but you want us to try and save those runs for different days, and it's just been fascinating to see why that hasn't been able to pan out so much.
0: So I wanted to bounce back to Jack Flaherty since I mentioned him getting all that run support. Um, I feel like I, I was I was digging through uh, Baseball Reference the other day his splits this year because something had stuck out to me um, just watching, and I wanted to see if the stats kind of backed up my eye test. Um, I believe I've only been able to watch games on television. I have not made it into St. Louis for any games in person, much less any of his games, but it looks to me that Jack Flaherty has been really pitching to the score this year. Um, and looking through the stats, because if you looked at his overall line, he does not seem like a number one or an ace or whatever you want to call it. But digging through his stats this year, he's only had four plate appearances against him this year, in two of his four games with high leverage situations. And batters are 0 for 4 against him in those situations. He's only had 35 plate appearances where people have even been in medium leverage situations. They're batting 148 with a 516 OPS in those situations. In the other 51 plate appearances, they've been low leverage situations. Um, because, I mean, the Cardinals have... I forget, I looked it up the other day. The, the innings that he's pitched they've scored like 15 runs per nine innings, I want to say it is. And for the total games that he's pitched, he, they've scored 11 runs per nine. Um, but in those low leverage situations, he's allowing an 803 OPS. Um, and so it seems to me like he's really pitching to the score and pitching to contact. Um, and I don't have – I really wish I would have had um, number of pitches per playoff in front of me here, but – I'm thinking I thought I looked it up the other day and he was over four pitches per plate appearance on those medium and high leverage situations or and then when it's a low leverage situation, he's much more close to like three and a half. So he's saving himself half a pitch of plate appearance. And I think it's just because he's attacking more during those times. Have you noticed anything like that at all? Does it seem like that to you?
1: Yeah, He sort of told us the, uh, the other day when uh, Monday, when he, when he had a big lead that, Um, you know kind of similar what he he noticed in his first start of the season when he also had a big lead was he was just sort of kind of getting away from it he wanted to kind of come at guys but he wasn't pitching with that kind of mentality they feel like he needed he was you know maybe a little bit more timid in, in the sense that he felt like he didn't have as big a lead and he was kind of you know when you get in that situation when you have a big lead there's not really much need to to you know obviously you don't want to leave meatballs over the plate but you want to kind of let the other team beat you a little bit more. Try to keep your pitch count as low as possible because you do have a little bit of margin for error. Um, so he, I think for him, it's more of a matter of like, maybe he does pitch to the score a little bit. I mean, he's, he hasn't acknowledged that. I mean, he slightly did, I guess. But um, I mean, it's not like he's kept going out there thinking, oh, I can, you know, I have to pitch on a razor thin, razor thin margin right now, even if I have like a six run lead. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely been kind of an interesting, you know, we, we talk about like Jake DeGrom a lot where he's, pitching not to the score. I mean, maybe he is pitching to the score because he's not getting any run support, but he's right. giving his team every single chance to win the game. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that Jack Flaherty's like the anti-degrom in the sense that he's not giving his team the chance to win the game. Um, but he's at least, I mean, he, he's hes hes getting the run support where he probably could pitch a little bit more, I guess, uh, liberally in, in some of the ways he does. So I think that's just the key to it, is just kind of pitching a little bit more aggressively when he has that lead and letting the other team or making the other team beat him, which he you know might not be doing as much as he wants to.
0: Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, speaking of pitching staff, uh, what is the latest latest you have heard about Miles Michaelis? What is the likelihood he'll be back in May, maybe? Uh, probably not April, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's going to be back in May. Um, definitely not April. I mean, May, if at all. I mean, the hope is okay. for him to be back in the mid to late May. I'd say more late May is a, is a safer ballpark. Um, He's done a couple uh, bullpen sessions recently, only fastballs and changeups, no breaking balls. And what that kind of says is that he's not really ready to, to put the torque on his shoulder quite yet. And his elbow, Um, you know, he said he went a little bit too full tilt in that first uh, batting live batting practice of spring training. And that was at the end of February. And he, he still has yet to face live hitters since then. Um, So he's taking it slow by step by step, um, you know, Derek to the post-dispatch, asked Schultz if it would be fair to sort of cast Michaelis as like in the process of being in late February. Um, you know, if, if, if you're talking about now being his spring training, then he would be like in the equivalent of late February. And if that's true and Schultz said that's pretty accurate, then that would probably mean another four four weeks or so before Michaelis can right. get into game action. Um, so okay, they're so- hoping that he can get back into the middle of May, and late May. Uh, I'd say late May is probably the, uh, the safest bet at the moment.
0: All right, so this next question is probably answered by that, but I'm guessing at this point they haven't really let on who's being looked at in terms of being replaced by Michaelis yet. Um, Cardinals in the past um, kind of have a philosophy of the path of least resistance, that the chips are going to fall as they may. By that point, somebody else might be hurt, um, or somebody's arm might need a little little rest and push them to the pen, something like that. So I'm guessing we're looking more at that route at this point point. Um, let's stay on the injury track. What's the latest on Harrison Bader?
1: Yeah, prognosis is a little bit more um, positive for Harrison Bader. Um, he's he's starting to face some, well I mean it's not that it was negative from Michael, it's just a little bit slower. Um, he's starting to face some some pitching for the first time since he went down the other day. Um, he, you know, he's, Schultz said they've been texting back and forth and he's excited. They're not going to rush it, but he's still excited to get back. Um, so it, it seems a little bit more positive for him, and they're kind of hoping maybe an early May return. And then you know, once that comes back, that they hope that's going to kind of normalize and and uh, balance their their outfield a little bit. That's kind of been struggling, at least defensively. They've had some good moments, but um, yeah, they're hoping to get him back uh, early May and uh, and you know, kind of let everything else kind of normalize from there.
0: So. Guessing that they're leaning towards getting him into the starting lineup as soon as possible. Tyler O'Neill's supposed to be back tomorrow, I believe. Um, what are they thinking with him? Do they are they going to instill him back install him back into left field? Is it going to be an O'Neill Williams uh, Car- Carlson outfield for a bit until Bader gets back? You think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. You know, I, I think when Tyler comes back, he's going to be the starting left fielder. I don't think there's much question about that. Um, I think Justin Williams, we've seen more out of necessity, but he has gotten a few more at-bats against left-handers, uh, a few more starts against left-handers. Um, so maybe they sort of like him out in, in right field, even if they are facing a lefty. Um, and then, But they also have Austin Dean who could, you know, play matchup or platoon with him there. Um, and we'll see kind of how that, I think maybe the biggest uh, victim, or not victim, but uh, the most impacted by the return of, of O'Neal might be Matt Carpenter because he's sort of had this ability to get consistent at-bats against righties because Tommy Edmonds playing. There's a need for Tommy Edmonds to play at the outfield that there wasn't when Tyler O'Neill was playing. Um, so when you get Tyler O'Neill back, that kind of makes it so Dylan can focus solely on center and uh, Justin Williams and Austin Dean can be the two guys in right field. And when that's happening, that means that Tommy Edmonds can be the only one who needs to play second. He's not really needing the outfield as much. I still assume you will see carp get some starts at second and Tommy to play right when there are matchups that they like. And Justin and, and Austin might be on the bench Um or, you know, but Tyler Neal also does have a lot to kind of prove. He is, he, he is off a, coming off a great spring, but he's just not been able to put it together so far this, this season. He's had, I think about 28 at bats and 14 of them has, have ended in strikeouts. So there, there's a lot he's leaving to be desired so far. And, you know, you never like to see a guy go down with an injury, but sometimes there is a chance for someone to sort of reset their mental state and not and, and, and their mindset, not to say he was weak in that respect in any way, but just, you know, sometimes he could be fighting himself and that's, this is a way for him to sort of take some time on the shelf to reflect a little bit, I suppose.
0: Yeah. I feel like he didn't get a chance to play his way through that with the injury, kind of like Justin Williams did Williams early in the year. I felt like had that, had that big K problem going on as well. And, he really worked his way through it, and he's impressing me um, a little bit, at least. Uh, not that he's been Dylan Carlson out there or anything, but um, he's he's been showing up lately for sure. Um, do you think O'Neill's in there long enough? Uh, with Harrison Bader coming back, you think early May? I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is 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 that? A, do you think it might be? with the way Williams and Carlson are playing O'Neill's last look for a little bit. Or do you think, um, I guess, I guess compare O'Neill and Williams on the depth chart at the moment, assuming both are fully healthy the way that they've performed.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can, you can honestly see sort of what we're talking about with Williams and Dean. You can maybe see that play out with Williams and, uh, and, uh, and, and O'Neill, where Tyler gets to start against the lefty and, and Justin Williams maybe gets to start against some righties. I think I think Tyler O'Neill definitely has at least the the track record and the and the pedigree that they would hope for him to sort of stick around and be and take the role. I don't I think if you are talking having a discussion about Tyler O'Neill sort of being forced out of playing time, that's not exactly uh, the hopes that they have had set out for him um, this season. Obviously, Um, so you know you could you could always say competition is good, but I think when it comes if the fact the mere fact that Tyler O'Neill sort of being struggled into his role is not necessarily a good sign or a good harbinger for, for his, um, I guess immediate future. Um, but you know, I, I still think that he sort of has the inside track to be able to be the guy, um, to, to run with a starting position.
0: Uh, additionally to that, I, I think that the Cardinals best defensive lineup probably has, uh, an an O'Neill Bader Carlson outfield of some orientation. Um, I could almost seem see it being when Bader gets back a thing where if Williams is starting O'Neill kind of takes on that fourth outfielder defensive sub role as well on those days where maybe late in the game, not that, not that Williams has been bad defensively this year, but O'Neill did have a gold glove last year and Bader has been close enough to getting some, uh, I think he's recognized as one of the top center fielders and Carlson's defense. Um, has been getting good reviews basically from every advanced defensive metric I can find. So, um, I, I could see that being the case too. Uh, one more baseball question before we move on to a couple fun ones. Um, Xavier Scruggs was, uh, it was announced that he was signed as a consultant on diversity, equity, and inclusion with the St. Louis Cardinals this week or last week. Um, Danny Mac on today's broadcast talked about how John Moselak was saying that they don't know exactly what they're going to do with the position yet, but that they felt that this diversity equity and inclusion position was kind of obviously a sore need for them. Do you have any more information as to why the organization's official view is one that sounded like that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it's just kind of the inward looking, um, uh, approach that a lot of or, you know corporations, companies, organizations are taking these days, where obviously you know in the years since you know George Floyd was murdered, that there has been a lot of sort of discussions just about how um, you know if if companies and and office spaces are doing everything they could be doing or should be doing to be the most inclusive and the most um, uh, reflective of of everyone and who works there and everyone who could work there, um, and I mean you know the Cardinals. Um, you know, probably saw that they felt like they had a need where there's just an opportunity to maybe improve in that realm and improve in that respect. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think. I don't think Xavier's role as far as the rigid day-to-day responsibilities has been quite hammered out, like hammered out yet, like you said. Uh, but I definitely think there's a lot of opportunity for him to sort of take a take some type of um, you know some type of opportunity within the organization and and improve it. I mean, there's nothing. You know, it's not like there's a uh, visceral you know, downside in any way to, to hiring him and having him around the organization, you know, if it's all, you it can only bring positive things. And, you know, you hope that at the very least that there's some type of uh, positive to come out of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't per- personally know the exact reasons why the Cardinals felt this was a necessity to do right now, other than just the the sort of groundswell of, of inward looking and, and different um, you know, offices, like I said, kind of thinking about what they could be doing better. Um, so hopefully that just is kind of how that plays out.
0: Yeah, that's kind of where my my mind went as well. But the way Danny Mack worded it, I just wasn't sure if there's anything more there. Um, I do like the the choice of Xavier Scruggs in that position. I don't know how much you know of his background, but a longtime minor league girl that came up, had a brief stint with the Cardinals. Um, he has talked about since... Um, becoming a former player. He has talked about, uh, minor leaguers and, and how they need a, a bit more equity at that level. Um, he is also somebody who, when you speak of diversity, he is an African American player. He did play overseas. Um, I am smacking myself in the head right now because I cannot remember if it was Japan or Korea. And I did not go to look that great. up. Okay. That's I what I was thinking great. too. But, um, and so, somebody who who has had different experiences like that and can speak to those things, I think this is a very good hire if you're looking for somebody for that role. Um, yeah. All I mean, right. I, so, I, I, oh, I have, go ahead. I
1: haven't been fortunate enough. Sorry. Yeah. I haven't been fortunate enough to, to speak with him yet. But, um, you know, just looking and reading some of the stuff he's talked about and, and just doing some research on his background, he definitely seems like a, a great guy who has a lot of just general, you know, Enamorment from other people, and, and um, just seems to kind of have every, you know everyone sort of uh, listens when he has something to say. So hopefully that just is kind of how it plays out.
0: All right, last two questions for you. I believe you said on meet me at Musial that it was your first trip to Bush for Opening Day weekend and first trip in general to Bush. What were your initial thoughts on city, ballpark, etc.?
1: So the funny thing that I didn't realize before I got out there was that um bush stadium and nationals park are made by the same um architecture firm so very similar feel to what i was used to so that was a little i guess um uh comforting a little feel of
0: home there yeah
1: (laughs) right a little slice a little slice of concrete home um that that being said you know the press box was maybe as high up uh, as i've ever been the one in Nats park i know it's supposed to be one of the highest ones in the majors and i didn't realize bush was going to be quite that same uh, atmosphere so that was a little less than ideal but it's still a beautiful ballpark i think you know not bush stadium and Nats park had a very similar design but it bush there's just so much more character at bush stadium whereas Nats park you just have a bunch of uh now they have some buildings up but it used to be just purely cranes and and concrete parking garages now there's some you know decent looking buildings um but you know bush the arch in the background some of the architecture uh, Ballpark Village. I got to look a little ra- bit around. I know it's pretty new, um, so it just it's just a little bit more of like a little little village. It seemed, um, you know, not to not to you know use this, use the same yes. word over again. But <laughs> yeah, right, use our The, pun, the pun,
0: there. pun Pun. Obviously intended. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. um, so uh, no, it was great. I, you know, I got I got some fried ravioli, some toasted ravioli. Sorry, uh, I got you know some uh, some salt and smoke, some uh, sugar fire. Um so it was a great trip and obviously I, I have much left to to discover, but um, you know, so far it's been great to kinda of get to know it.
0: All right. Well that that are that that would be all the questions I have for you because the last one was what St. Louis foods have you tried and loved now that you've been to a uh-huh. homestand. But uh you, you already mentioned some salt and smoke and some sugar fire and and some wonderful tea ravs. So um I will allow this to be the second episode in a row of conversations with Saruti that ends with uh, food references. Um, <laughs> and I believe I have not gone
1: I've not gone to, to Pappies yet. I've heard that's from some is what they swear by. Um, so but, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: I, 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 I will have I to wait. When I was there. Okay. I'll have to wait and tell you that after we get off because I literally just told this story on last week's episode of conversations with Saruti about Pappies. So I don't want to repeat myself quite this early in the uh-huh. season um yeah don't let me do that to you well uh welcome to cardinals twitter Welcome to cardinals fandom sort of since you're not really allowed to fan uh, at least not in the press box um thank you for joining me tonight i really do appreciate it um i wanted to keep this short and sweet because i know you are still in dc you're at home um so go hang out with family and, and do all that um For everybody at Birds on the Black, uh, we appreciate having you around and uh, hopefully we will have many more conversations in the future.
1: Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: All right. Have a wonderful week, everybody else. Uh, And until next time, I will see you later.